0: We have this innate desire to win. We're designed for victory. A couple of days ago, a couple of weeks ago actually, um, some from the church had come down and the kids were running around and one kid ahead of the other kid and they were just saying, I'm the winner, I'm the winner. And suddenly the kid at the back uh, comes running to one of the adults and wailing, saying, I'm not a winner. We adults look at each other and like, where did that come from? We're designed to win. We, um, <clears throat> when we play board games, I think it's a safe zone for us to let go and just want to win at all costs. We're designed to win. Parents, when we look at children, We want our children to excel. We want our children to be the best. We want our children to hit first mark, you know, quicker than everyone else. Not because we want our children to win, but more because we want to be the winners. We want to win. We are designed to win. But the question we want to ask is, if there is an intent to win, if we are designed to win, is there a best way to win? Is there a godly way to win? Is there a biblical way to win, and so I want to draw your attention back to the passages we read during the scripture reading in in uh, Joshua chapter five, verses one to twelve, and to see what is it that the children of Israel experienced before uh, winning. What are the elements of victory? What are the five elements of victory? that we can find in this passage. And I want to title today's sermon as Preparing to Win, Preparing to Win, and look at the five essentials. But before we do that, I want us to look, at, uh, look to God for a word of prayer. I want us to take about 30 seconds and to say to God, God, I want to give you this next 35, 40 minutes without distraction. I want you to speak to me. I desperately need to hear your word. pray for me as I preach that I'd be kept from errors and that his word would find its mark in our hearts that we would be more like his son as a result of hearing God's word and having put, it, put that into practice Father we, we look to your Lord We look to you, Father. We pray that you would speak to us. We insist, Lord. Oh, Father, if we can, with all humility, that you would open our hearts, break it, break the idols that may be there. But you have to be glorified in our lives. We want you glorified in our lives. We want it no other way. And so we thank you. Thank you that this is in your will and that you will answer this prayer in Jesus Christ. Our Lord's name. Amen. Amen. Let me just give you a context to this passage that we have. It's been 40 years since the nation of Israel has left Egypt. And the nations watching them are confused. It is only 11 days from the Mount of Sinai to the promised land, but they've been roaming around this wilderness for 40 years and they are perplexed. What is their God doing? Why is he not leading them to the land of promise, this land flowing with milk and honey? Why is it that on average there are 100 people dying every day among them? And some scholars would say, that's the reproach of Egypt, because Moses prays, God, if you kill all of them, those nations are going to say, God was not able to take them to the land. That was the reproach. Could be. We don't know for sure, but I tend to believe that that to be the reproach. So they were confused. But at the same time, they were also fearful. Remember Rahab. We looked at uh, Joshua chapter 2. Rahab says, we've heard of your God who opened up the waters of the Red Sea and how you crossed over. That was 40 years ago, and they are still fearful. And then she goes on to say, I know this God is the God of heaven above and the God on the earth below. There's another thing that's happened during this time. 600,000 men of war who have left the uh, left left Egypt 600,000 men of war all died even Moses and Aaron they all died as we saw in verse 9 there it says there that because they did not hear the voice of the Lord even Moses and Aaron we read in numbers 20 because they did not honor God before men they were fearful, they were angry, there they, they were certain things that they thought they should be doing as priority, but instead of honoring God, and as a result, they don't go into the promised land, except for two, and they are? Who are the two who are able to go into the land? Joshua and Caleb, except, except for those two, 600,000 men of war and everybody about 20 died, and and I believe the grace of God that God, true 600,000 died, but God would have raised at least another 600,000, if not more. But this, these are now new uh, men of war, ready to fight. The question we have to ask then: Are they ready to fight? They are now in enemy territory. Are they ready to fight? And the answer is no. There are certain things they had to do before they could fight. And I, I want to clarify some similarity that we have between what is happening here and our salvation experience. This this is important because we often we were taught that salvation is about getting out of Egypt. It's we were slaves uh, to. To Egypt, we, was, we were held in bondage and we were released. And we think that's great. That's great salvation story that we have. But that's not the entire salvation story. Because if we are not victorious, then we have lost the entire idea of what God wants us to be. We are to be victorious Christians. so it's not just in the leaving, it's not just in the release, but also in the conquering, in the victory that God has called us to. That's the gospel st- uh, story. He wants us to be winners. He designed us to be winners. And so they did leave Egypt, but because they did not hear God's voice, He says, "I'm not going to lead them to this blessed promiseness that I have, uh, the blessed promise that I have for these people." Unless we are caught in not enjoying God in the way we are to be, we are to be to be to having this blessed experience. So, keeping that in mind, I want to draw your attention to the to the five things which can be used as um, you know the five. Uh, the passage that we have can be looked at in five divisions, all right? So verse one, verse one, we'll come back to this. uh, We'll come back to this in detail, but I just want to quickly go through it. So if you're taking notes, just hold, just listen for the moment, and we come back and then we can uh, hear it, all right? So verse one is look around. Your enemy is a terrified and a defeated foe. Part two, look up, verses two to nine. You don't need to trust in your strength. Part three, verses ten to eleven, look back to remember the deliverance of the Lord. And verse and the fourth one, look forward, verses eleven and twelve, anticipate a new beginning. And then verses thirteen to fifteen, look on to your true captain. We'll look at that last one next verse. But let's come come back and go through this one by one. So the first one is look around. Your enemy is a terrified and a defeated foe. Verse 1, as soon as all the kings of the Amorites were, who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of the Amorites. You see, this verse should have come at the end of the passage. Because you see everything that they do, and then they would say, "Yeah," as a result of this, these people, uh, you know, they are terrified and they are uh, they are fearful. But it's God's grace that puts it right at the beginning. It puts it right at the beginning because I want He wants us to know that the 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 foe that we face is a defeated foe, is a terrified foe. That's God's grace. And the fact that Amorites and Canaanites are mentioned, we saw previously that seven nations were mentioned, seven nations to whose land is going to be given to the nation of Israel. And here we see only Amorites and Canaanites. This is what the scholars would call, call a merism, M-E-R-I-S-M. And what that means is they take two extremes to indicate the two extremes and whatever is in between, all of that will be defeated. Amorites were the cruel ones, Canaanites were the peace-loving ones, and in between all of them. Another example we have is the heaven and earth, heaven, the vast heavens, earth, a tiny sphere. Between heaven and earth, it means universe in the Hebrew Bible, everything as part of it. So from Amorites to Canaanites, all of them terrified, I want us to know. It might not appear to be Because when you look at their fortress, their fortress was, Jericho was a fortified city. There was no way you could win, um, you know, on your own strength. But God wants us to be reminded it's not what appears in your eyes, but as long as you look through your eyes, you will see this fortress and these challenges, this impregnable fortress, their impressive armies. But I want us, he wants us to know that your enemy is a defeated foe and is terrified because of Jesus Christ. Defeated foe. And uh, I think these are times when we want the prayer that Elisha prayed. For his servant. That their eyes would be opened. Elisha prays. Oh God would you open the eyes of my servant. So he's able to see the chariots of fire. That those that are with us. Are more than those who are with the world. Our eyes must behold. Because the eyes of our heart must be enlightened. To be able to see that. Otherwise we would always be. Thinking that we are just grasshoppers. In the sight of them. We must remember. Remember. Our enemy is defeated and is terrified. I'm not sure what is it that, um, what's the giant or what's the challenge, what's the fortress that you feel impregnable. I want us to look at this verse in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. It says, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them, through him, that our victory is because of him. And our first essential component for victory is this, that in Christ, all our enemies we face are defeated foes. We don't make our enemies, we don't make our challenges greater than our God. So I want us to pause and ask this question what challenge do you face what is it that in your life you are struggling you are saying that this seems to be a mountain that's not moving this is a this is a challenge that i'm not able to face on my own and i want you to be reminded that in christ as you look at them that we face a defeated foe a terrified foe only because of christ But not just that, I want us to look up. The next verses 2 to 9, look up. You don't need to trust in your own strength. You don't need to trust in your own strength. So what's happening here is before Israel is called to fight, they're called to consecrate themselves. They had to uh, circumcise all of these men of war before they could go to fight. And so they are circumcised using flint knives, which is just sharp stone, flint stone. And so the question we ask is, why? Why is the circumcision necessary? I want to give you two two essentials, why circumcision is necessary in this context. One, circumcision makes them distinct. They are a set-apart people. In, in, in Leviticus 19.2, it says they were meant, they are to be a set-apart people. It's says setting apart. We've, setting apart, we've always said this, it's about holiness. We are saying that there is, the, 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 we, we are holy and set-apart to God. God says, these are my people. And the mark of circumcision is about this being set-apart. God is saying, those are my people. And we have to cut away flesh. That's the call to us. If there's any flesh that's holding on to us and anything that we so love, we love our sin. We love our sin. We like it. We don't want to give it up. We rationalize. We know it is wrong. God's word is saying that. But because we love it so much, we start to rationalize it. Or because we love somebody who is still sinning, we rationalize with them. We need to set that aside. That's what circumcision—circumcision circumcision of the heart—in Deuteronomy and Luke. We read that is that that I'm going to say I have got nothing to do with this sin. I'm going to set myself apart to God. I belong to God. It's painful. Last week when we had the soccer camp, oh, on one one of the days it rained. And so we got the kids, and we took them to the hall, down the hallway, and there were 30 kids plus the volunteers, and there was just one nail sticking out, one nail on the, on the ledge, and it's a huge hall, it's like more than twice the size of this hall, and one kid snags on that, and there's blood, she, she had to be taken, stitches and all of those, the truth is this: it just takes for that little one sin to snag you. Blood is going to be shed, either ways. It's either going to be shed because of sin or because of separation, there's going to be pain, and this is a better option. God is saying, you've got to separate yourself to me and be holy. Let people know that you're different. You're not like the rest in that territory. So the first one is separation or setting apart. But the second I want you to look at is that this is about trust. The second is about trust. Okay? We can go one more. And one more. Okay, implies trust. I I don't know if he caught this, but Joshua and these 600,000 men of war plus the women and children have crossed over to Jordan. And now Joshua says they need to be circumcised. And we would have said, Joshua, that makes sense. Yeah, 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 we need to be circumcised. But you should have told us before we crossed over. We, should, we could have done it there. Here we're like sitting ducks. You're making us weak. Do you remember what happened to this, uh, those inhabitants of the city of Shechem? When the prince of Shechem wanted to marry Dina and, and Reuben and Simeon says, no, you have to be circumcised, otherwise we can't give, your, give our sister to be married to you. And they were circumcised, and during that time, they just go and kill all the men. We are going to be weak. And Joshua says, I mean, we don't hear it, but we can almost hear him say, obedience, trust and obey. For there's no other way. Your weakness is worth as long as you obey. Your weakness, Paul, is told by the Lord in Second Corinthians that you, my grace is sufficient for you. Your weakness is made strong. Uh, my weakness, um, uh, my, sorry, how does that go? If you will turn to that. Second Corinthians chapter 8. My strength is made uh, perfect, that's the word. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. God is saying, I'm not deterred by your weakness. See, militarily speaking, Joshua did one of the most uh, dangerous things, weakening your army. And on top of that, when you know that your enemy is terrified and frightened of you, that's the window of opportunity. That's when you go and attack. That's what every military leader does. But God says, listen, you will obey for victory. If you, want ob- if you want victory, obedience is a necessity, not our strategy. We have to obey. It's a painful thing to obey, but you've got to obey. There's no other way. Listen to this. If you, um, only a thief sneaks in through a window of opportunity when the godly door of full obedience is kept wide open by the Lord. Hey, you got to ask yourself, as I ask myself this, have you been struggling in this area of obedience? And you always want to catch on to that window of opportunity. I'm going to miss the window of opportunity. I'm going to miss the window of opportunity. And you want to get in through that window of opportunity while the door of Obedience is kept open by God. And that is the only source, the only way, the only way, the only way that you will find victory in Christ Jesus. Obedience. Nothing else. So third, I want us to do is to, in verses 5, 10 to 11, sorry, is looking back. And to remember the deliverance of the Lord. Look back and remember the deliverance of the Lord. Remembering the past. I mean, that's what we try to do during the testimony time. That we look back and we see how faithful God has been and encourage ourselves and encourage others to say, this God who's been faithful through, through times past is the one who will lead me and strengthen me and keep me and, and his promises never fail. That's what remembrance is all meant to be. And so they partake in Passover. They take in Passover, and so that's what happens, you see? So in verse 10, we see that they have Passover. They relive their deliverance in Egypt. Forty years ago, on the night before, they would would shed the blood of this lamb, put the blood on the doorpost, and they would partake of that lamb, because that night, the angel of death is going to go through, and when he sees the blood has been shed, he passes over. That's what Passover is. But forty years later they are remembering they, they don't have the fear of the death angel of death passing through over them, but now they are remembering of how God preserved them by the shedding of blood. And they are thankful that this God who promised keeps his promise. But I also, I also want you to notice what is happening in this Passover. You see what happens is 40 years ago in Exodus chapter 12, verse 41, it says, at the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. God had told them that, your, God had told Abraham that your people would be uh, slaves. And on that self-same day, to that dot of the day, God delivers them. And gets them out of the land of Egypt. He's a he is a God who keeps His promise to, to the time that He has said He has promised, and that He, he is He's a promise-keeping God. But look again, what happens in verse nine, uh, here in Gilgal. In verse 9, on the self-same day, they kept the Passover, and on the next day, they ate of the produce of the land. It would be three Passovers that they would have had during those 40 years. The first one was on the night uh, in Egypt, and they get delivered. The next time they have a Passover is at the Mount Sinai, and the third time here is in Gilgal. As a look back, and we read here that it was the 14th day of the first month exactly to the day that God brings them to the land. And it says, man are stopped, and they partake of the produce of the land. God keeps his promise. How soon, how quickly do we forget? When we are faced with a mountain, when we are faced with challenges, we, we so easily forget a God who kept us, faithful that he has been. We somehow think that God is not able to take me through the challenge that, that I'm facing. It's good to pause and look back and remind ourselves that he is a God who keeps his promise. So the third essential component of spiritual victory is to look back and to remember the providence, the deliverance, and the leading of the Lord, the one who provided, the one who clothed it, the one who brought us to this place. And our, our testimony time, like I said, is that, right? What we're trying to do is to count a blessing and name them one by one. Count a blessing. See what God has done. Because what He has done, He has proved Himself over and over to be faithful as the God who I trust for the future. But it's not just looking back. But the fourth one has looking forward. Verses eleven and twelve. It says, to anticipate the new beginning, 11, and the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain, and the manna ceased, on the day after they ate of the produce of the land, and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, and they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. You see, the sequence is very important. I want us to understand that. There has to be a Passover before you can partake of the feast of the unleavened bread. There has to be this angel of death that's passed over you. There has to be the shedding of the blood. They have to recognize that there is a deliverance from Egypt that is essential. And you've come now to this blessed promise you found in the Lord. And as they partake of the unleavened feast, the bread, it reminds me that there's no more leaven. That's what what unleavened is, right? Making a bread without leaven. Leaven is the one that causes the bread to rise. And in the Bible, leaven is an indication of? Of sin, death, whatever, right? Sin particularly. And they're putting aside of sin. That's what the unleavened bread is. And, And what God is insisting is that you who have been delivered out of Egypt, you will come and have communion with me. Communion with me is the essential component of salvation. What use is it that you have gotten out of Egypt and you have no communion with Christ? That Christ doesn't grip your heart. We have missed, and no wonder we are such harmless Christians where we should have stood up where the gates of hell would not prevail against it. God will, the Lord will, but I ask of us individually. There has to be a communion with God as we anticipate victory in the future. And so... I know I I need to stop here because the most powerful, the most effective reason for our victory is the captain of the Lord of hosts. We will look at that next week, God willing. But he is the reason, he is the source, the basis for all of this coming true. Without him, your mountains will not move. Your Jordans will not cease flowing. You will not find yourself in the promised land. But I want to bring you back just to quickly revise so that we know these four essential components. And so that God who designed us to win, God who wants us to win, that we will find our victory in Christ Jesus and that we will be the victorious one that God has called us to be. So the first one, look around. Why? Why do we look around? Because our enemy is defeated and is terrified Second, so don't make your enemies bigger than your God. Second, look up. Look up why we can, we can trust God. We don't need to trust our flesh. It's not in our strength. We, 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 we are saying that we are the weak ones. That's what he calls the weak ones, the foolish ones, the powerless ones. And that's okay because I'm not trusting my flesh. I'm going to trust my God. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. The third is look back. Look back. Why do we look back? To remember. To remember the deliverance of our Lord in the past. And the fifth is look forward. Why do we look forward? Because we anticipate a new beginning of victory every day with Christ is better than the day before. (laughs) That is a good principle to measure our life. If we have stagnated, if we feel that we had good old days, then I think that's a dangerous place to be because there were people who wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to eat of the leeks and the garlic and the onions in Egypt. They thought that was the better day, not realizing the deliverance from Egypt, moving into this promised land, into this area where God says, come, I'm going to give you abundantly because manna stopped. Manna was a spiritual requirement or need for a wilderness journey, but God now, says come have strong food Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1 let's lay aside the basic essential components but let's go to the strength that we have to have strong food that we would be ones who go from strength to strength glory to glory and that we will find that our victory is found in him alone would you rise with me as I pray for all of us and as a church Father God, we want to thank you for your son. He is the only one through whom we have strength. But today I pray, Lord, that as you have challenged our hearts, that we will recognize that we will not be terrified of our enemies. He is a defeated foe. But we will not depend on our own flesh because our flesh is, is corrupt. It cannot win wars. And so we weaken ourselves as we draw ourselves and consecrate ourselves. We set apart. We break idols. We we set aside every sin that so easily besets us, and we draw to you, Father, that through your Son we would find our victory. We look back and we see how beautifully you have kept us. How you have been our strong deliverer, our refuge, our strength. And because of the past, and because of wilderness, in how even through wilderness you have provided us food and and uh, water, and our clothes didn't wear, and our shoes. didn't didn't break. And we know that this is because of you. And so as we look back, we have this, we look forward to anticipate of the things that you have promised, of living that blessed life that you have called us to, to be that victorious Christian so that the world will take notice that here is a group of people, consecrated, distinct, and separate, who want for the glory of God to shine forth in its glory. And as we sang, We wait to see for the glory of the Lord to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And be glorified, O God, we pray, in the midst of your people. In Jesus Christ, the Lord's name, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Please be seated.